0: This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180TAC. Get out there and have some fun.
1: Episode 155, Hubert Kriegel has been traveling around the world on a Euro motorcycle and sidecar for over 11 years. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is Travis. I've got a good show for you guys today. I caught up with Hubert Kriegel on the western shore of India, about 300 miles south of Mumbai. Hubert has been visiting various parts of the world since 1970, but in 2005, he decided to sell it all and travel permanently for 10 years on a Ural motorcycle and sidecar. Now it's 11 years later, and you've probably already guessed it, but Hubert is still on the road and apparently with no plans to stop anytime soon. You Barry, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thank you. Oh, it's great to have you. You know, I came across your story and I was just I was just completely smitten by your uh your ability to toss everything aside and and head out on this this Ural uh sidecar and start traveling the world. Um let's jump right into it. What kicked this whole thing off? You had basically an epiphany, a, a certain moment that just made you realize that this is what you wanted to do with your life at this point.
2: Look, it's one of the things that happens during one dinner in my life. So it, we are in, two, in November 2004. I was living in New York. Um, I've been living in America for the last 20, 25 years on that time. I'm French. And <clears throat> during that dinner, I'm with a very good friend of mine. He's French also and uh this guy is a noise you know he's a, a perfume designer and he's he's telling me as as we start the the dinner he said, you know uh no matter how much we make when we live in a big city like uh, new york it's a lifestyle and this other 31st you look in your pocket it's empty it's all gone. so w- which is true so just so you know um i was never rich in my life i had a good life but I was always uh, always in the red, uh, all my life. And uh, so that was the beginning of our, our conversation. And then he say, uh, look, your daughter, I have three daughters. My third daughter was in Madison, Wisconsin College. It was the last uh, year of her college. So he says so now you're going to be released of uh, not to have to pay college and things like that. What are you going to do? So I felt quite stupid. I never thought about it. I said, well, you know, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I keep working and, you know, and, uh, and, and that's it. And and then the conversation started during the same dinner. And they say, you know, Jean-Louis, my French friend in New York, uh, is passionate about uh, motorcycles, like me. We have always been driving motorcycles since we are uh, teenagers. And he's also uh, a traveler, a true traveler, uh, like I've been. I've been traveling all my life, so on my own way. And then uh, Jean-Louis asked me, he said, you know, we, we are, it, it would be interesting to see how much does it cost to travel on motorcycle all year long? That's all you do. You know, how much we need to do that? So just to remind you, we're in 2004. We all have internet on our desk in the morning when I was coming to work. The first thing I was doing, it, it was looking at a couple of bikers. I knew I had their blog, you know, traveling around the world. And I was uh, dreaming about it. You know, I was looking at that. It was like a dream come true, you know. So we start to scoop some number, And we broke it down on the tablecloth. And... And we come to what was coherent, just common sense. And then John, would tell me, he said, but um, you know, you, if you sell everything you have, how much do you have? I said, I have no clue. You know, I I mean, at the bank, I'm always in the red, but you know, like anybody else, I had a good life. And uh, I was living in a very nice apartment and uh, I was a real estate broker on that time. So I had to look good and I was looking good. Uh, so, like anybody else, I had stuff, but but no money. So we did the number. Again, we scooped the, the number, you know, whatever was making sense about. And at the end, it appeared that uh, if I was selling ev- everything, I had enough money to travel for 10 years on my motorcycle, because traveling on a motorcycle is very cheap, if that's all you do. And of course, you have to travel smart, you know. I, I don't go in a five-star hotel. So, when I look at that, we we were to desert, and I say, you know, are you sure we don't forget anything? And so, so, then it was clear to me that I had two choices in life. The first one was I keep working ten years, and then I will be poor. And the second one, I sell everything I have, I go traveling for ten years, and run motorcycle and then I would be poor.
1: And <laughs> Either was, way, it's the same result.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was, wow. You know, it was a wake-up call. I mean, I had no idea before that dinner. Take, drinking the coffee, I look at Jean-Louis, I say, Jean-Louis, I'm sending everything. I go on the road. I took my decision. It was just simple. So we are November 2004. Three months later, February 16th, at six or four AM, I was leaving Manhattan, and I was going on the road for ten years. Everything was done, everything was sold, everything was closed. I had nothing left in in uh, in New York, and I've been on the road since. You know, it was absolutely crazy. I owe I owe a lot to my good friend Johnnie. <laughs> that's for sure.
1: Yeah, I <laughs> yeah, think you do. That's how it
2: happened. Yeah, yeah, I do, I do, I do. You know, it's it's still a very close friend we. We talk a lot together. He came to join me a couple of times, uh, one time, six months in South America, and his notzagal, and then we drove one year together in, um, in, in Africa. but uh, you know that's it. that's the story.
1: that's fun well I've always been you know proud of myself for for deciding you know to move out to Colorado from Connecticut and in doing it within a month's time four weeks later we packed up and moved out and I was always pretty proud of that until I heard your story where where you decided uh, to sell everything and go on the road for 10 years on a motorcycle and did it within three months that's pretty impressive
2: yeah well you know I mean okay it's it's uh it happens like that. I mean obviously I was uh I was uh, you know it was not the first time. I moved. I moved was living in France and uh I met my uh, my wife and we, we we had a baby, she was three months old and we decided to move to America. So again we sold packed everything and come here with four suitcase and you know, nobody was waiting for us we had to redo our life which which we did, you know. So Somehow, it was not the first time, but still, it was was a very good move, you know.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you were used to making big changes uh, quickly. So, speaking of your wife, now, we need to point out that you're married. Um, You've been on the road for 11 years now, but there's still a wife back in New York. How does that work out? How does she feel about it?
2: All right, so you I, I can see right away you want to put me in trouble. My wife is next to me, so let me tell you.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so look, Lorraine, <clears throat> she's a dancer. She was a professional dancer all her life. And as time goes, you know, from dancing on stage, she became a choreographer, she became a, a, a professor of dance, teaching in uh, universities in New York writing books about dance, and, and that's her passion in life. She, the same way my passion was never to work, because I was never good to, to work, um, but my passion was always travel and motorcycle. So when when I decided to go on the road, you know, we, the conversation we had, what we what we said was, look, you leave your passion, which is dance, and I leave my passion, which is traveling on a motorcycle. You are, you are teaching now in a New York University. There is a lot of holiday. Every time you have time off, I will come back and we are together. And then once in a while, you can come to join me wherever. So that's what we do. Every time, I, every Christmas, I'm, 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 I was back in New York. We were together with our daughter for a month, a month, for a month and a half, two months. Then a month for spring break, and then a couple of months in summer. And sometimes she comes join me, uh, you know, in different countries. She's here in India with me right now for for the last seven weeks. Uh, she comes in Panama. She comes, you know, we went travel Europe, I and mean, so look, it's not not the way we, we did it now. It is important to see that living in 2000 you know, in the 21st century, you have to recognize that travel, traveling is very easy. In the sense that um, every country has internet, every country has a plastic machine. You know, you put the plastic on top, you get the cash on the bottom. Every country has uh, airplane, international airplane for a thousand dollars from wherever you are in the world, you can tonight jump in a plane and wake up tomorrow morning on the other side of the world. So, we are on Skype. Uh, We talk daily together in email. Uh, Of course, I'm not connected every day, but every time I can connect, you know, we, we communicate together and we always say if you have a problem, it's if there's uh, something, I, I jump in the plane, I come back and and, and some in, in both ways, you know, so and it did happen that way, so I, I jump in the plane a couple of times, you know, one day she lost her dad, I was next day with her and I stay with her the time we had to, I mean, and one day I was very sick in the, and, and she came and she helped me and she bring me back home and things like that, so. You know, it's not like I live and I say, OK, see you in 10 years, A child, you know, it, it will not work the same way, of course.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. You know, you guys have found a way to make this uh, a very small world and be with each other when you need each other. And you obviously have a very strong relationship to endure that. And I think uh, I think I can speak on the behalf of many men around the world and say, sir, you are very lucky. And uh, and I think you know how lucky you are. And that's uh, it's such a wonderful story to hear
2: yeah we, you know my <clears throat> i like to say that because we were talking about how easy it is to travel today convenient and and cheap uh, in nineteen seventy one i was living i was uh, living in paris and i went on the sidecar not stuck with the sidecar I went around the Red sea, so that includes living from france you go to yugoslavia turkey syria iraq Kuwait. Saudi Arabia, Ethiopia, Sudan, Egypt, and that was a four-month uh, trip. And we left for two months, but we came back after four months. And when, when you, are, you leave France, you go to Italy, that's okay. From Italy, you enter Yugoslavia, you are gone. You are disconnected from the world. You don't know anything that happens in your own country with your family, your friends, or people you know, and nobody knows what's happening with you. We're in 1971 the telephone exists in every country, it is very difficult to get the telephone con- uh, uh, connection. It takes a lot of time and it's very expensive. We did it two times in four months. So, <clears throat> you know, on that time, I don't think it would have worked for us. You know, the the, the way we can do it today, uh, to, uh, you know, it's uh, it's a different uh, it's a different world. You know.
1: Yeah, yeah, it absolutely is. It's a lot easier to do now. So let's talk about your mode of transportation. Uh, you ride a Ural, with a sidecar, and can you go into a little bit about a, what a Ural is for those who might not know?
2: What is that you want to know about the, uh, about the, the, the Ural?
1: Yeah, the Ural motorcycle and why you chose that to uh, to spend this much time driving Well, okay, so,
2: yeah. So look, what, when I left New York um i had I already had with me um a bmw 100 gs which was the last uh carbureted motorcycle from bmw and i had on it uh, a url cycle I, I mean why do i drive a cycle there is no good reason it's just because it works for me <laughs> i've been driving i have been driving cycle all my life i mean since 1971 and I love it, and uh, you know, I still it's it, I drive it like a toy. You know, it's a, it's a dance to me, and uh, and I, you know, I, I'm not trying to convince anybody that should do it, but me, for me, it works. So, I left New York in 2005 with the BMW. It had only 10,000 miles, very good shape, very well prepared, and I've been preparing myself for the last two years not not to go on the road for 10 years i have no clue but just to i was preparing this motorcycle to have something to be able to do some kind of travel you know vacation travel so i wanted this kind of motorcycle because no electronic simplicity any mechanic can open it and you don't need a computer to to fix it if there is a problem and always wanted to go in a remote country, a remote part of the world. So that was my concept. And it worked uh, very well, except that I very quickly learned in South America that when I left New York, I went first to the Arctic circle, then south to Ushuaia. And going through all South America in the, in the next uh, almost three years, I can tell you that over a hundred times Either I was sanded or or a U-turn with uh, with a shame and uh, uh, because I could see I, there is no way I could uh, get through the sand. So a sidecar with a one-wheel drive, you know, the sidecar is like a dead weight pulling you on the on the right side, and you it, uh, you will lose traction very quickly and 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 be sanded. On my way south, um, I met a couple of guys in Death Valley, and we spent a week in Death Valley, these two guys were on the Ural with a two-wheel drive, so two-wheel drive mean the cycle wheel has a traction and it's a death lock. so all of a sudden, all the power you have keeps you with the traction of the sucker. it keeps you straight, and you go much, much, much further, you know, me being alone, traveling alone. And I'm not athletic, you know, I'm not, uh yeah, I'm I'm, I'm not, I'm just not athletic. So um, when you are standard, you're, you're in deep shit, you know, it takes a lot of, uh, it needs a lot of power, you know, to get you out of there. So um, I saw what the two-wheel drive, you or I could do by comparison me with my one-wheel drive much much better motorcycles BMW and so on and I was by the time I came back from South America I decided to buy a Ural sidecar to have the two wheel drive now let's be clear the the two wheel drive Ural sidecar uh, you will not do the the sand uh, dunes that you see in the Paris Dakar race <laughs> right. no, no way Yeah, that, that, forget about that you still have huge limits, but it doesn't matter. It was going much, much further than I could do with the BMW. So by the time I come back in 2008, now I'm in uh, in New York, and from there I bought uh, a new Urus car, two-wheel drive. I bought it in France, and I flew there to prepare it with my friend in uh, in Geneva. Um, you know, I have very, very good, very good close friends from the soccer Cross era where we were doing. Uh, again, I was never good at soccer Cross because I'm not at but I loved it, you know, so. <laughs> they're, 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 they were good, these people. Uh, Giorgio, he was uh, competing on the World Championship, you know, at that time. But I prepared my soccer, and then I've been driving with that since and uh, I just love it, you know, the simplicity of the, of the of the motor. Um, it's, uh, absolutely what you need when you travel in a remote country.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it has been uh, reliable? You I think I heard you say you ha- you've had two Euros now at this point, is that
2: right? No, no. No, it's my first year no that I'm still driving today, the one I bought in two thousand eight. Okay, okay. So you no know, when when you're travelling on year long it's not the same mentality than when you go for the weekend with friends, you know. On the weekend with friends, you are pushing it, you, you do a little uh, crazy thing, you know, you need to decompress from the week work. Sure. So you, you you don't hesitate to be a little foolish. When you travel alone, loaded, and so on, you forget about that, you know. Like, uh, the, the first question people always ask is about the speed. I mean, speed is totally irrelevant wh- when you travel. Uh, And you don't want to speak, you don't want to go fast, you want to have time to look, you don't want, and and also for your own security, you know, like I'm in India, uh, I can tell you the the highway, the divided highway are uh, occupied by by cows, by camels, by truck, by truck going the wrong way on on the divided highway, you know, all of a sudden you have a truck coming in front of you. It's it, it's not every day. It's it's every hours you have that. So speed is is really really not something you are you want you need and you are looking for. So I can tell you that when I'm on a very very good road, uh, driving eighty kilometers an uh, eighty uh, kilometers is fifty miles an hour. Fifty miles an hour. <laughs> I'm i <feeling>, whoa whoa. <laughs> I'm flying. <you> know? <laughs> yeah.
0: Bentgate Mountaineering, located in Golden, Colorado, has been outfitting backcountry travelers for the last 20 years. Winter is in full swing, and it's prime time to check out the latest in alpine touring, telemark, NTN, and split boarding gear. Bentgate carries the premier brands including Black Crows, DPS, Dinafit, G3, Icelandic, K2, Rocky Mountain Underground, Rossignol, Solomon Voli, Never Summer, and Jones. With more people in the backcountry than ever, it's crucial to be prepared. Bentgate has the latest in avalanche safety gear from beacons to airbags. Come in and they will set you up with a proper gear and point you in the right direction to educate yourself on snow safety. If you don't own the gear, Bentgate offers a full range of rental and demo equipment including the latest skis, boots, splitboards, beacons, shovels, and probes. Bentgate also hosts free demo ski days at local resorts to give you a hands-on opportunity to ride the latest gear. Be sure to check BentGate.com for their full product selection as well as updates on all of their events. Hey folks,
1: be sure to swing by 180tac.com to check out the 180 stove and the 180 flame camp stoves. These lightweight compact multi-fuel stoves are made in the USA and are designed to be fail-proof on your adventure. These stoves offer the flexibility to cook your meal using twigs and sticks found around you or various other fuels like gel fuel, alcohol, charcoal, or even use them as a windbreak and stable cooking surface for remote bottle gas stoves. The ingenious locking tab and slot design ensures your stove is very solid and stable without the use of hinges, rivets, or fasteners that can fail you in the field. Visit 180-T-A-C-K dot com to find your next camp stove. So when you first headed out from New York in 2005, you went up to the Arctic Circle on the ice roads, and then you turned south, and you went all the way down to Ushuaia. Um, How much planning goes into your destinations and your travel? Or is it more you just kind of go where the the wind takes you at the moment?
2: Look, I, I go on a day today. so. Every morning, I have two choices. When I get out of wherever I slept, I go on my sidecar and I have two choices. The first one, I go left. The second one, I go right. And I will decide that on that time. When I go on it, I say, okay, I agree. I still go left. So, and then I go. So, I still have, uh, like, w- when I left New York, it <clears throat> was February 16, 2005. I had a dream. Uh, which was one of the reasons I prepared that motorcycle. I mean, the BMW, you know, with a Saika, it was, um, I prepared it to go to the Arctic Circle, uh, to Tuktoya took to on the ice road in winter. So you have, you, you go way above the Arctic Circle to Inuvik in Canada on the east side, east or west, no, uh, east, west, uh, west side, west, okay, west side yeah. of Canada. Yeah. And then you have the Dumpster Highway, which is 1,000 kilometers, so 1, met, let's say about 600 miles of gravel road. It's a very remote road. And uh, at the end, is a little town of Inivik. 3,000 people live there. And in the winter, you take the ice road, which is the, on the frozen river and then on the frozen ocean Arctic. And you arrive to Tuktoyaktuk which is a last town uh, in this part of the world. And so 1,000 people living there. And you, you drive all that on the ice, on the frozen uh, ocean. And then you, you come back in summer, all the ice melt, and you have communication by boat. There is no road in summer to go there. So I read an article about that, and I said, wow, I was fascinated. I wanted to do that. Now the temperature there is minus 40. It's minus 40 during the day, minus 40 at night. So minus 40 Fahrenheit, you know, it's, it's harsh. That's cold. And yeah, it's cold. But, you know, I'm, a, I'm from that school. I mean, when I was a, a, a young man in, uh, in France, um, I had to drive in winter without gloves. you know, just to challenge it. And not that I had good gloves. We did not have good equipment. I did not have too much money. But, um, it was, it was always the challenge, you know, that's a, it is a typical French mortality of the bikers on that time. And I've been trying that all my life. So I was living in New York. In New York, you have, uh, New York City, when you have <clears throat> a few days of very, very cold, you know, it goes to, Minus 10, minus 20, minus 30, and I was fascinated. When I saw the temperature going down like that, I was jumping on my sack trying to drive it to do something. And when it snowed, I was always out on the road. And, and I learned. I learned through the years how to equip myself, how to manage it, how to deal with it. Um, at one point, I was feeling so good about it Every time I heard there is a snowstorm uh, on the north going to to Canada, I was jumping on my sidecar, but I, I would do that after work, you know. So I come back home and I prepare myself at 10 o'clock at night. I go on the sidecar, I go to Montreal. And uh, I, I will arrive in the middle of the night, in the early morning, 350 miles. I will sleep or not sleep, and then I will come back to New York. So... Uh, little by little, I become uh, prepared to, to the call, but the difference is you are in a civilized country, so there is always, you're on the road, but you know, you have a cell phone in your hand, and as an expression, if you have a, a problem, there's a helicopter coming to pick you up. You know, you you call a number, and you have a triple a something, and you have a... A gas station, a restaurant, a car, So people will will rescue you. Now, I knew going to the dumpster highway, 1,000 kilometers, there is nothing like that. You are in the wild. There is no traffic. And nobody will come to rescue you. So it's a whole different, you know, I'm a city guy. I know nothing about all that. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I mean, it was very, it it is scary. It, it, It is scary. So when I prepared myself uh, to go to the Dancer Highway for the last three years before before I left on February 16, 2005, um, I did everything I could to try to learn, you know, to, to get information, but it was very difficult to get. I was calling the people who live in Vinovic, and I remember one time I called a, a garage, and I asked a guy about the tire, what did they do, how it works, you know. And, and the guy asked me, he said, so what kind of car you have? And without thinking, I didn't pay attention. And I said, no, no, I'm, I'm not driving a car. I'm on a motorcycle. The guy hung up on me. <laughs> <I> <laughs> didn't was, want to deal with it. And he hung up. Yeah, I, I met the guy when I went there. And I told him he was the stupid one. But, that, you know, that's okay. So <laughs> going there, I had few... Uh, I did not know if I could do it. I did not know if it was possible Uh, But I was going on a day-to-day and I pushed it one day after the other and look, I I went through, you know. So the the funny story is when I arrived in Tuktoyatuk, there is, you know, in and Tuktoyatuk, they are, it's a uh, petrol, it's a petrol country. So a third of the population is the, the petrol industry? A third of the population is the government, and a third of the population, the last third of the population, are the retired Eskimo who, who live there, and who are not anymore Eskimo. I mean, there is no more hunting, things like that. Uh, alcohol is a huge drama in this part of the world. Right? People, uh, I saw family, they're devastated. I mean, human drama, you have no idea how hard it is to watch and to listen to these families, these people tell you what happens with, uh, with member of their own family due to alcohol. So I knew in Tuktoyaktuk, uh, there is one hotel restaurant. I know it has, uh, uh, you know, it's, it, it, it's nothing charming because it's a petrol business, petrol industry. Um so I arrived there, you know, with all this uh, <laughs> dream I had in my head, and I took my little bike from, from the car, and I walked the stairs, you know, still uh, dressed like, uh, I mean, it's minus 40, right? So I get in the restaurant, in the hotel restaurant, I open the door, and I saw the guy, and, you know, I felt so good. I say, hey, you know, I'm from New York, and I come on my motorcycle to spend the night here. And, you know, that was my... Uh, I, I, I made it, you know, in my head. So I said that to the guy, and the guy said, well, I'm sorry, but we're full tonight.
1: <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a long no, way to come to find out they're
2: full. <laughs> yeah, I said, all right, all right, so do you think I can have a soup, uh, eat something? Yeah, yeah, of course, uh, sit down, sit down, yeah. And the guy was, you know, obviously very nice. He was worried about me. So I told him, I said, Look, don't worry, I have my tent. I, I sleep outside, he, if you don't mind to show me where I can pick up my uh, pick up my tent, I sleep outside, and there's no problem, you know. So during the dinner, he called me and he said, C- come have a look. And he took me to an office. It was very small, very messy. And he said, look, if, if you, would it be okay if you sleep here on the floor? I said, sure, sure, it's okay. So, you know, he called it and turned out well. So, uh-huh.
1: Well, that's probably a welcome sighted uh, forty degrees below zero. <laughs> that's some chilly yeah. camping if you had to stay so, out
2: there. Yeah. So you know, to come back to your question, so then when I left New York, I had in mind Arctic Circle, you know, Victoria. So I made it. So now I'm coming back, and I have one thing in mind: is to go to Ushuaia, because it's logical; it's on the same continent. And it's, uh, I'm here, so I'm going to go through Central uh, America and South America down to Chihuahua to in Argentina. So that's my goal. Now, <coughs> which country I'm going to go through, which order, will I go by the East Coast, the West Coast, the Sun? I, I had no idea. I didn't know. And for all that, I go really on the day-to-day. It depends who I meet, what I heard, what intrigued me, um, and sometimes I'm I'm just not sure where I go but I just I know I'm going south, so it's still it still is good. And and that's all that's all I do. So you know the beauty for me of my travel is I have no <clears throat> I have no schedule, I have no itinerary and I have no sponsor. I owe nothing to nobody. I'm totally free. I can do exactly what I want on the day to day, and that's what I do. You know, that's what I've been doing.
1: Well, that is admirable, and uh, it, it makes me long for that uh, that lifestyle. It's such a, a simple way to to go about each and every day. Just go which way you determine is the best way to go on that given day, and it may change tomorrow, yeah. but oh well.
2: Yeah, exactly. You know. When I was in France, I bought the Ural car, and I, I had one thing in mind. I wanted to go to Mongolia. I read a book about Mongolia. My wife gave me for Christmas, and um, I, I saw I watched a couple of movies, The Whipping Camel. Uh, that was, you know, making me drool to to want to go to Mongolia. So I'm preparing the Uralska, and I know I want to go to Mongolia. So. Will I go through Turkey and the Baltic Sea? Will I go through, uh, Belarusia? Will I go through the North? And um, I had no idea, you know. And until one week before I left, I heard, there were, well, I didn't pay attention before, but I heard there is a, a motorcycle rally in the, at the Arctic Circle in Norway. And I said, wow, that's great, you know. Let, let me go meet all these guys. It's uh, it's called the Crystal Rally. So, I I left faster, Switzerland, uh, than I wanted, because I heard about this rally, so I went by there, then I went by the north. Two weeks before, um, I had a TV interview, and they asked me, I said, well, man, I don't know, I'm, I'm not sure, what do you think I should do? You know, I'm always ready to listen to people, what they have to say, but I will make my decision when it's needed, not not because I have to decide in advance. you know, that's a That's a great uh, quality of life it it gives me, you know, no stress.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you left the working world to do this, so it's got to be such a a night and day difference to to walk into a life where you just don't have to worry about what it is you're doing the next day. You know you're going to be getting on your motorcycle, and you know you're going to be turning left or right, and that's it.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's it.
1: (laughs) Very cool. So I love people stories. Now, 11 years on the road, there must be a good story about uh, a person that you came across that really left an impression on you. Do you have one of those?
2: Oh, many, many, many. I'm sure. No. No, yeah, of course. Because you know what's amazing is you meet people and... Well, no, no, number one, I have a billboard above my head, you know, with my, uh, my with my traveling with a sidecar. So you stop there, people grab you, you know, in a village, in a remote area, no, no matter where you are. So people come and they and they grab you, and and they all want to hear your story. They want to ask, they have questions. and and uh, yeah, it's a pleasure for me to to share with with people you meet like that. So very quickly they invite you, you know, they, 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 they want you to stay, they don't want you to leave, they want you to eat with them, and they want you to sleep in the house, and I do, I do sleep with in people's house uh, as much as possible, I, I do it a lot. You spend one, one evening, you know, one afternoon, let's say, one evening with a family, with somebody somewhere, you know, I'm talking villages, I'm talking remote area, I'm not talking about, you know, somebody you meet in a, a fancy cafe you know, in the capital of the world. No, no, I'm talking about simple people. Right. It's amazing how much uh, people will open to you. All you have to do is to, is to ask them questions, and they will talk to you. And and I do the same. I always answer with uh, uh, as much sincerity as I can to any question they ask me. Of course, people ask you most, mostly uh, always the same question. It doesn't matter. You know, people say, are you to always say the same story? They say, look, that's not his problem, you know. I have in his life, in his village. He invites me in his house. He asks me questions I answer with as much sincerity and simplicity as I can. But that allowed me to ask him questions. And <clears throat> you, you have no idea how much people would open to you because being a traveler you are not a threat. you are just um you know if i if I move in a village and I say, okay, I'm going to live here for the next ten years, it will not open the same way, but I'm just going through you know he knows I we live, so you ask questions about what what's good in their life what what's a problem they have um what 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 is wrong what what they would like to change, what they would like to achieve. You know what difficulties they have, and and what do they think of such other country next to them that might be in war or might be you know in in political um, difficulties together. And people always talk to you, you know, all all night long. So that's uh that for me the richest um, the richness of the of my travel is to meet simple people and and to to. You have you, you a print of their life in your mind when you leave, you never forget. Now, beside that, you can meet some people, uh, some of them for half an hour, a couple of hours, or you meet some people for half a day. And they are, you connect, when you connect with somebody, they are with you and they are with you for the rest of your life. I can give you some examples. I had, I had this one. I'm, I'm always thinking, it's Harvey. Uh, we were, I was at the Arctic Circle, going, just coming back north from the, the from the, uh, from Arctic, And um, I stopped at the last gas station. I, I was, I'm still in the north. I have to do the 1,000 kilometer. And uh, <clears throat> um, I stopped at the gas station. I, I have to fill up gas and there is no, no petrol. So we, are, we have to wait. They are waiting for the truck. So I've been there for five minutes and comes this guy, Harvey. He's on the old pickup truck. He had the sled dog, you know, the...
1: Uh, the Huskies, You understand?
2: Know yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the, the guy, I mean, you can see his face, you know, his, his big beard and all that. He's a character. His pickup truck is like all Old, old, like old, very old, <laughs> and we start talking to it together. And he, he, he's sleeping in his truck with his dogs. Uh, the night before he went to the to, to the dumpster, he was very happy because he find two two tires that fit the the wheel he had. He see, when I finish uh, dog sled with my dogs, I'm to to come back home, which is over 1,000 1, miles about to say you know the time i I have' uh, I'm not good enough, so i now I'm happy I have a couple of spare a spare time you know with me, so that not not much money you know, but the guy was going with his leg dog solo, and he was living for two weeks at a time, you know, so he would park his um, his pickup truck, go with his dog for two weeks in the wild and and come back, you know, that was what he was doing. So we talked for two hours together. And he he's still with me, you know. I had an email from him uh, uh, not even a week ago. And one thing he's saying, uh, I love that. I put all that on my website. Uh, at one point he said, you know, because we don't have a job, people think that, that we don't work. He said, well, to succeed at what we do, it takes a lot of work.
1: <laughs> yeah, no doubt.
2: I, yeah, I, I love that. It's true, you know. He was kind of like me—not not working anymore, not much money. But uh, yeah, it's true. People think we don't work, but it takes a lot of work. <laughs> He's
1: working harder than so, most.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, you know, everything works, but yeah, it, it takes work. So yeah, you connect with people. Um, to me. To me, that's what travel is about, is to connect with people. Last night, I had an email from a girl, a young girl I met in St. Petersburg. So St. Petersburg was in 2009, uh, when I was on my way to, to, to Mongolia. And um, I spent a couple of days with her. Uh, I mean, I met her in St. Petersburg. We went to the opera together, and then we had dinner with her in her house with her mom. And, you know, again, she told me a lot of things I know about her life. So on that time, she had difficulties. She met an Italian guy that uh, she was in love. She wanted to go join him, but she couldn't get the visa. It was very difficult financially. You know, there were... Uh, not rich people at all uh, this, this girl and her mom and uh, it's very difficult for Russian to have visa to go to Europe you know you have to show a lot of it's mostly a financial uh, problem you have to show bank that for two years past and, and so on so I saw this girl two times in two days and, and then I went on with my travel so I, I I got an email from her uh, uh, what, once a year. You know, I'm sending a, a mass email to everybody I know, everybody I met, uh, hey, everybody. And she answered me to say, well, I'm glad to see you are still on the road, and so on. So I wrote her back, and I say, hey, well, what about you? You know, what's happening in your life now? What? Where are you? at? Tell me, since we, we met together. And she wrote me a long letter I, I got last night. But she succeeded to go meet this guy uh, in Italy. She married him. She lived in Tuscany. She got a job traveling around the world uh, for three years. Then she got tired of traveling. And now she's looking for another job. You know, we met two days, but we are connected for life. You know, I will follow this girl. She will follow me until until ever. you know. So that, uh, to me, this is the true richness of the travel.
1: Yeah, that's very special. I, Absolutely, money couldn't buy that.
2: Yeah, so I, I'm used to say, um, you know, I don't do when I travel. I don't do fort. I don't do church. I don't do mosque. I don't do synagogue. Um, I don't do landmark. I, I can do, but I, I don't care. You know, I'm not looking for. But I do villages I do remote road. I do mountain. I do people. Not the kind of travel I do.
1: Well, that you know, sounds uh, good to me. I like I like the way that yeah. uh, that you do it, and your the mentality that you hold while you're doing it.
2: So yeah, so so sometimes I I will go see a lot like this, but like I'm living in India. I've been here for a year and a half. I didn't I did not go to see the Taj Mahal. <laughs>
1: right?
2: Yeah. yeah, People don't understand that. My you know, but but that to me that's not very important. You know, that's it.
1: I think you would describe yourself as a world traveler instead of a tourist. You don't hit all the tourist spots. You want to see the world.
2: Yeah, 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 absolutely. It's different.
0: Hey, River Rats! You've heard nature photographer John Fielder discuss Colorado's free-flowing Yamper River on the Adventure Sports Podcast. Now get the 150 scenic and historic pictures behind the words. John's latest coffee table book guides you from its headwaters in the flat-tops wilderness to the confluence with the Green River in Dinosaur National Monument. Visit johnfielder.com for more about the book, or get your copy now at amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, or your favorite independent Colorado book retailer. Once again, that book is Colorado's Yampa River, free-flowing and wild from the flat tops to the green. Don't forget to
1: save the date for our first ever Adventure Sports Podcast listener meetup and an evening with Peter Schuster learning all about the Continental Divide Trail. Head on over to adventuresportspodcast.com to RSVP and claim your seat. And for you listeners outside of Colorado, don't forget, on the same night, you'll be able to watch the live stream of Peter's presentation. Stay tuned for details on how to do that. You've been all over the place. Could you pick a place that that you would say is your absolute favorite? That that really is a, a place that you could go back to time and time again and never get uh and never get old.
2: Oh, very simple, v- very simple, and no hesitation. It's Mongolia. Is it? Very I cool. spend I spend yeah I spend nine months in Mongolia. So I arrived in November, beginning of the winter, and uh, like I always do when I go in a country when I know I want to spend some time. I took a a teacher one-on-one, four hours a day, to learn to speak uh, Mongol. So I have my own booklet with my own vocabulary, my own sentences. All I want this teacher is to teach me the phonetic, how to say such a sentence, such a verb, such a name. So after two weeks of that, I have enough ammunition to speak the local language, to present myself, to uh, to explain my story, and to ask questions, and, and and it works very, very well. So, uh, of course, uh, when, when people answer you something, I understand nothing. But it doesn't matter. I mean, it's, it's not... Uh, when you arrive somewhere, you speak their language, you break the barrier, you open the door. So I did that when I arrived in Mongolia, and then I went... Uh, right away in the, my, something, Mo- Mongolia, the step of Mongolia, the Gobi Desert is minus 40 uh, Fahrenheit in winter. And I went south ra- right away and no, not knowing anybody, not, nobody was waiting for me and it's very, very remote in, in the winter, this part of the world. But <clears throat> I stopped in, in New York and I start spending people, the time with these people, the hospitality the Mongol people have, the lifestyle they have. So, and I spend nine months like that. So I spend the whole winter and the spring and the summer. Now, why do I love so much uh, Mongolia? It's because in the 21st century today, um, the Mongol nomads, they are true no- nomads. They're still Uh, they still move their their pasture for five, six, seven times a year. But they live today with the same uh, harshness it was, the same difficulties and the same hierarchy and the same family value and the same simplicity than they were living a thousand years ago under Genghis Khan. Nothing changed. It's, It's totally amazing. That's what I read in my book, that's what I saw in the movie The Weeping Camel and that's what I wanted to live with these people to be there with them. And I spent as much as a couple of nights with them in their youth and as long as a month and a half in the same youth with the same family. So it gives you a lot of time to to understand and to witness, you know, to see what uh, uh to really live with them, you know, the same rhythm they and it's absolutely beautiful. It's magnificent uh, to to see that there is such such uh, an authenticity of life, of lifestyle preserved today.
1: Yeah, it's like history stood still and the, the landscape is just absolutely beautiful, you know, from what I've seen.
2: Uh, well, the landscape is pretty flat. Huh? <laughs> it's not, uh, you know, but but it's it's weird because you can uh you can go through the steps there is no one road to to go south you have you know you 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 drive on your own you make your own path you know
1: right
2: so it's very very open territory and uh and then you see a yacht you know like far away it might be like five six seven eight nine kilometers and you, you you start to go this way and and they have a hospitality, unbelievable hospitality. You know, there is a when you approach a yoke, every yoke has a dog. And the purpose of the dog is uh, uh, it's a warning system for the for the nomad. So the dog sleep outside summer or winter and if there is a something strange happening or a bad animal or something, it will bark. That's his job. And uh then the, the nomad will come out of the yurt and look what's what it is and deal with it. So, when you, when you I approach a yurt, of course they are barking at me. And there is a tradition. When the nomad come out of the yurt and you are facing each other, you tell him it's a specific sentence, you know, I forgot it now, but it's a specific sentence. You say, can you please watch out your dog? And he's enviarly he will tell you, Yes, I pay attention to my dog and that's when you are welcome. From that time he takes you inside the yoke. As soon as you are inside the yoke, he gives you something to drink, a tea most likely. And um and then he start to prepare you something to eat, a snack or cookies or he start eating some water. I mean in winter he would start a fire to cook you some food. And um and you are there. So we, we talk, we communicate, it takes time. It's, it's a slow process, but it works. And then um, at the end of the day, you know, it's, nobody asks questions. Uh, you know, he's not going to ask you which hotel you go to sleep tonight. Of course not. <laughs> and he, he said, you know, we, we push. A uh, yoke uh, is like 20, 25 feet diameter. It's one volume. There is no partition. So there is no place to hide. Three, four, five, six people can live in New York, uh, typically. So there is no furniture. You have little teeny teeny stool that you can, you know, like uh, not even one feet high and that you sit on. And at night, you, you pull things on the side, you put the cover and you sleep on the floor. So when, when it's night, you say, okay, you, you lie down here, you know, Boom. and you lie down. And never, never, not once in nine months, any nomad asked me, So, what's your plan? What, what do you do next? Uh, uh, how long do you stay? When, when are you leaving? Never. And I stay uh, a week, I stay up to a month and a half in the same family. Never, nobody asked me when, when I was going and what was my plan.
1: Wow, that's hospitality. So,
2: yeah, so that's a. Uh, it's a natural hospitality, uh, you know, that's uh, is absolutely amazing, you know.
1: Right, right.
2: And Mo- and Mo- Mongols are very content of their life because there is zero agriculture. It's only, uh, they-, they only have, you know, their sheep, goats, uh, cow, horses, camel, yak. Basically, that's all they have. And these animals, you know, they go, they go out to to to, to eat, you know, they they walk on the, the steps all day long. They come back at night at, at the youth, but the the Mongol um, has a lot of time frames, and so between them, in the, the the in the family, they socialize a lot. They spend a lot of time talking together, uh, having fun. And they laugh a lot. They have, um, uh, social games. They, 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 they would play. They, they eat all day long, you know. They eat a little snack here, a little snack there. They sip some tea. And they have a good time, you know. Like, nothing good. It is very harsh in winter. But beside that, um, they are very, overall, they are very content on their life.
1: Well, it sounds like a lifestyle that uh, many of us could probably benefit from living, <laughs> at least to get a taste of, just for a little while.
2: Yeah, so look, you know, it is true also that uh, it, it, today, when I was there in 2009, you some of the Mongol nomads already have a, a Chinese motorcycle. Um, some have a solar panel with a... With, with, the dish and the TV. It's only mm-hmm. one channel coming, yeah, one channel coming from Ulan Bata. Some have a cell phone. So sometimes, you know, you, you can pick up a signal somewhere and they were able to, to call on the phone. All, all that exists already. It's not like they don't know. It does exist. Not everybody has it, but some of them have it. But it did not change anything on their own lifestyle, you know, the, the rhythm is the same. The the lifestyle is still is still the same. The same simplicity and the same uh, the same hierarchy and and value of life. You know.
1: Right. Right.
2: What words? So Mongolia is my number one by far.
1: Yeah, I can imagine. What words of inspiration or advice would you have for somebody who? Really has a dream to to do what you've done. Now that you've done it for eleven years and and have all this experience under your belt, what would you tell them?
2: <laughs> do it. <laughs> That's it. If you have the dream to do it, then do it. You know.
1: As Look, as I would that. never
2: encourage. I would never encourage anybody to do it. I don't care to tell people you should travel. If if, if you should, if you want to travel, you travel. You know, it's a it's a free world to a degree, but. Uh, at the opposite of that, I would tell everybody I meet, uh, and <clears throat> every family, I say, if you want to do one thing good for your kids, make them travel. Take them outside the, the, no matter where you live, uh, w- which country you live, which part of the world you live in, take your kids to travel. It's so important because when you come back home, you can appreciate in a, Totally different way, whatever is home. Would it be for an American kid? Well, you know what? A lot. It's very important for American kids because so, so many Americans American have no, no idea of the rest of the world, you know. So if you take your kids to travel, they come back home, they have a maturity in them that is the most valuable. So, yeah, I say that to everybody. Take your kids to travel. Where you want, the way you want, doesn't matter. They will see other parts of the world. They will come back. They will not reach their slough. You know.
1: Yeah, that's absolutely true. We've had people on who have raised their kids on a sailboat, circumnavigating the globe, you know, for for. Six years, and you know, I always sure. marvel at the what those kids must have seen and learned and experienced out there, and what that has done, and how that has set them up for adulthood. You know, moving forward, it's just a truly amazing opportunity. So, you're absolutely spot on with that.
2: Yeah, I, I have a friend I was living a couple of months ago. He took his son, he has four kids. Uh, the youngest is a boy, he's 10 years old. So he prepared, he's a, he's a pilot, uh, airplane pilot, commercial pilot. So he took a sabbatical year, he bought a Ural like. I mean, it just happens he did it on a you know, that's how I met him, because he has a Ural, but it doesn't matter. And, um, <clears throat> he took his son out of the school, and he traveled all the country of Europe for one year. I mean the maturity of this kid uh built to himself during that year. It's amazing, you know, it's fantastic. It's not the same kid anymore, you know. what he learned there is is invaluable but compared to all the other kids who stay home and playing uh, playing their electronic stupid game, you know. You you
1: cannot uh, you cannot replace that yet to me. Yeah, yeah, it's it's life transforming for sure.
2: It's life transforming, absolutely. Right. Yeah.
1: So you have a website, and your website is really, truly a treasure trove of world travel adventure. Uh, you must spend quite a bit of time updating it. Or is it just a matter of this is 11 years worth of updates?
2: And No, no. Look, look you know, I started the website for my daughters. I have three, three daughters. So I started the first I was sending email when I left uh, in 2005. So I was uh, sending emails to my friends, of course. My, I mean, my daughter, my family, my friends. And then um, about six months after I was uh, on the road, um, you know, I, I was. I mean, the idea was there. Yeah, I, sh- I should do a website. People were telling me that. So I started the website, and uh, I knew I wanted big photograph, fast loading, little caption. You know, I don't know how to write, but I know how to tell a little story. And so that's what I've been doing. So when you travel alone, you know, people say, always say, well, isn't it difficult to be always alone? You know, well, um, you are alone if you want to be alone. Because when I stop somewhere, people grab me if if I want to open myself to them. And and so in fact, uh, me, I'm never alone.
1: Yeah, never a problem.
2: Yeah, but you have also one thing, it's your camera, your camera, it's your friend. That's with your camera. You share what you are living at every moment. You know, you, you take a photograph. It will, this photograph will be shared with your, your family and friend. So with this camera, the camera you have in your hand is your friend. It's, it's your kids. It's your wife. It's your people you love that are there with you, you know. So uh, do, doing the website it takes time. It takes a lot of time but I do it on a day-to-day. And again, because I'm totally free, I don't owe anything to anybody, um, I chose to... I, I, I say that from the beginning. I will only put stories and photographs and stories if I have a story to tell. If I don't have a story to tell, I will put nothing. So sometimes I had a period where... Uh, I was not putting anything. Then I got email. What's wrong with you there? Yeah, right. There's nothing wrong with me. You know, I'm just, I'm just resting. Give me a break. You know? <laughs> so, yeah. But uh, yes, it takes time. Um, but I love the the concept of this website, with large photograph and caption and telling story, uh, not taking myself seriously, making fun. Um a little sarcasm is always good, and that's uh you know that's my uh partner you know that's how I communicate with people so yeah i i, I do that with them and, you know you asked me before we started if I had a book or something I wanted to promote. let me tell you something i i was I had small business all my life, one with the other I was always in the red. I was never good for one simple reason. When you have small business, your job number one is to sell. And I'm a bad salesman. It, uh, it, uh, that, that That's why, it's just how it is. <laughs> so, being a bad salesman, and I suffered from that. I knew I was a bad salesman. You know, I, But I didn't know how to be a good one. You know, If not, I would have. I tried, believe me, I tried very hard. I could never succeed to become a good salesman. So my all my business was not okay and I was always struggling. I never made it financially, uh, you know, in my businesses. So when I sold everything, I I promised myself, I said, I have enough money for 10 years. After 10 years, I have nothing left. So I sell everything, but the cash, I put it on the bank. Number one, I put this money on the saving account. So everybody jump at me, no, 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 you have to invest. You have to... I say, fuck you, I'm not going to invest nothing. I keep this money saving, but you are going to lose with the... I say, I don't care. If I lose 5%, it doesn't bother me. But if I lose 30% because i made a stupid investment, it would kill me, you know? So, I put this money on And <clears throat> why am I telling that? I forgot <laughs> <That's> my book. <joke. laughs> you,
1: you, you didn't want something to promote. You didn't want to have to sell. Oh, stuff. yeah, 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 yeah.
2: <laughs> so, so the, then I say, um, I said, no. no so I have the money to travel for 10 years, very secure, because there is no risk on the on this little capital of money I have. And one thing I promised myself, I will never sell anything again in my life. Because I've been suffering selling, I don't to sell, I was bad at selling, so I will never sell again anything. So people tell me, well, you write a book. I say, no, I'm not, I'm not writing a book. But but you should write a book, you could. I said, no. I said, look, I do the writing, you do the writing. You write the book. You have everything on my website. Start writing. Ask me questions. I tell you anecdotes. I have plenty (laughs) of anecdotes in my head. And uh, and that's it. So I'm not selling anything. Not one T-shirt, not one book, not uh, anything. I made uh, quite a few uh, conference, you know, presentations in the motorcycle circle, you know, URL or or else, you know, and never ask for one dollar when I when I do that, never. You know, I just do it for the pleasure to meet people, to share with people and you know, that's the question I answer. And and for me when I do that I always meet a few great people and so you know, so it's a it's a two way street.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I completely understand no,
2: that nothing, nothing nothing to sell. Okay. Well, now I'd... some people say but I saw you have a a link I, I have a link on my website for donation. I say, yeah, 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 you want to give me a ticket, you know, I said, thank you. But <laughs> you have nothing in action, you know, so don't drop don't anything. <laughs> <laughs> That's great.
1: <laughs> well, I do want to point uh, listeners to your website, because like I said, it truly is a treasure trove of, of adventure and and I I really once I stumbled upon it, I I just really kinda got lost in your travels, you know, because you depicted on your site, you know, with your comments and the photos of it and you you can get lost and, and- be there vicariously you know if you can't be there physically and it's uh it's such a neat site to to visit so i want to i want to um, read it out myself it's thetimelessride.com that's where you can go and uh and read all about hubert Kriegel's uh adventures around the world on the Ural for 11 years and it sounds like you're not planning on stopping anytime soon am i right
2: Well, no i'm yeah yeah that's that a strange you know no, number one, the the name, the Timeless Ride, is I was on the phone with my wife and my daughter Jessica before I left, and so how are we going to call that? And they come with the name, the Timeless Ride. So it's a ride that has no beginning and not, no end. And as you know, life is made of confusion. If you look on my, the first part of my website, the Timeless Ride, no beginning, no end, but it's 10 years on the road. So, and then it's says B started from New York, uh, February 16 at 6.04 a.m. So n- not only it has a beginning time, it has an end time, <laughs> and it's a time that's right. But, um, okay, what did I say now? I don't remember. Okay. <laughs> and, You're in your 11th year.
0: Now. Oh, yeah, yeah, because I'm in May,
2: my 11th year now. So what happens is, you know, that night when I... When we scooped the number with my friend Jean-Louis in New York. And it was just common sense. It happens our common sense was right on target. When I started travel, um, I was, I have been spending exactly what we imagined that day. I'm not spending more. I'm not spending less. And I do it by instinct. You know, I don't keep track. I don't write anything. I don't write how many kilometers I wrote, how much I spent, anything. Every two, three months, I would open my, the website, my bank account in New York, my bank account in France. I look the balance, and I look, and I, boom! I'm right on my feet. And um, when I reached 62 years old, it was the age of retirement in uh, in America. security called me. I stopped by them, and to make it short to you, um, you know, I, because I was always in the red. I never had a one k or retirement plan, nothing. But I had paycheck all my life. I work hard like anybody else. So on every paycheck, there is something going on the side for social security when I was working in France as well as when I was working in America. To make it short, it happens that my budget uh, of traveling is exactly the amount I have in retirement which is (laughs) much, much, much better than... I I never imagined anything. You know, the day we did this number with Jean-Louis about uh, how much I have, we talk about retirement, but I I was born in 1946 in Paris. So 1946, right after the war, uh, my parents were very poor. They they did not have any any money uh, until I was 10 years old. So all my... uh, young boy, you know, in education, um, what, what I was hearing about retirement, say, well, people who go to retire. they are, they, when they get old, they, they are sick, they suffer, and they have no money, and, and they die. It did not look too good, you know, the retirement. It changed, you know, the... So so when we scooped the number we shot, we we put zero for retirement. I knew I would have like a few hundred dollar or something, but nothing substantial to that that we put on. Totally right. so, wrong with the, with the French and the American retirement. I had uh, enough to travel on the lifestyle I had already. So all of a sudden, all the pressure went down, and now. I am traveling with my retirement money. So when I reach the ten years it's um uh, it's official. Now I'm the road. I'm on the road for good, you know, as so long like as I can put one fit in for the other one, I'm I'm still travelling. <laughs>
1: That's great. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. love it.
2: Life is pretty good, yeah.
1: Yeah, no doubt. Well yeah. before we go, I have to ask, you have these iconic red glasses that 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 you seem to be recognized for at this point is there a story behind these glasses or you just like to color red
2: yeah yeah <laughs> yeah I got this red glasses in 1995 so 21 years I've been wearing these glasses they are big red flashy huge frame uh, red so um, you know if you look at the website, you will understand. Once you you see photograph of me with my red glasses, which I wear twenty four, I mean every day. Um, <clears throat> it's it's a girl I met. Uh, she she was a friend. Um, I recently met. She was a, a eyeglass maker, you know, designer. And she called me and she said, "Look." Uh, I have some glasses. I'm designing. I want to show you. So stop, stop by my shop one day. So, so I stopped by a shop. It was this red glasses, and I, I loved it right away. Because let me explain you. <clears throat> it's hard to understand, but uh, you know, most likely you will not understand. But, but that's okay. I'm a shy person. I've been shy all my life. You know that. That's my. That. That's who I am. So to wear such a flashy. Uh, red glasses now people don't look at me they look at the glasses so it told me to be there without having people looking at me it's confusing I that, no you know, I, that, I completely
1: get it I understand what you're saying that makes a lot of sense <laughs> that's great Yeah. so there yeah. is a so story I, behind I the red living, glasses
2: <laughs> yeah so I was living in New York uh, I had a small business of graphic arts and you know it's a uh, it was fitting very well the environment, you know. I was, uh, everybody thought I was this huge advertising agency. I was not, you know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All it takes is red glasses, right?
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: Maybe I'll get a pair. Well, you bear, your travels sound truly amazing and I was I was very anxious to get you on because uh your stories are are exactly what we're looking for on this show. I think they're absolutely inspiring and uh I I look forward to uh to seeing what uh, what brings what what comes down the road next for you. And I'll follow your site and uh, and see that happen and I I can only hope that we cross paths at some point so I can shake your hand and hear a few more stories.
2: Yeah, that could be great. But look, I, I want to say something. You know, people always ask, you know, why the second why the motorcycle? I say, look, when you travel, it's not important what motorcycle you have. And I'm going to tell you, if there was one motorcycle made for traveler who would never break, we would all knew it, and we would all have it. It does not exist. So there is nothing wrong or right on the choice of motorcycle. As long as you are happy on your own motorcycle, your own choice, then, then you are, you are the winner. I will say more. It doesn't matter if you travel on a motorcycle, if you travel on a bicycle, on a car, on a backpack, in a bus, as long as you go on the road, you know, so that the the purpose is travel, is to meet with people, is to connect with people. And, um, uh, for people who say, you know, should I go or oh, I'm dreaming to go on the say, so, look, you, if you feel about it, do it. You know, you ask me the question. I, I would never push anybody to do it, but, but just do it. So some people pre- over-prepare themselves because we live Colorado, you know, Europe, uh, France, America. We live in such sophisticated country. We, we could prepare. I know some people they are preparing for years. Right. Before they go on the road, they will never go on the road. That's fine, you know. I mean, maybe the pleasure is to prepare. It Doesn't matter if if they want to go on the road, they they will. Don't over prepare. You know, m- many times people say, "Well, I would go, but I need this and that." I say, "No, you don't." You know, you start to go on the road, and you will finish to prepare as you are on the road. You know you you, you, are, you, you, you will know what works, what doesn't work for you. And maybe traveling like that is not for you. Then if it is not for you, you come back home. There's nothing wrong with that, you know. It's it's only if you're happy, you do it. Because traveling on motorcycle or, or car, I mean, traveling around the world is not, it requires a special state of mind. You, you forget about the comfort zone. Every day you approach a new, a, a new situation. You, you approach new people. You approach new country, and you have new difficulties or unknown in front of you. So you you have to be able to eat whatever people give you to eat. You have to learn to speak their language. You have to. I mean, you you really have to go out of your comfort zone, circle of comfort zone. And it's not for everybody, but if it's for you, you you will love it. It's uh, you know tra- traveling is. It's amazing. Even if it is harder and harder these days, the way the world is going uh, now, but you know, still, it's fantastic.
1: Yeah, well said. Just get out there and and do it, and don't have any uh, inhibitions, and don't plan too much. You'll never get going if you do.
2: Yeah, don't don't over <laughs> don't, don't overcomplicate it. You know, things will happen. And also, one other thing I want to tell you because your your audience is maybe mostly American. There is no, you know, I've been traveling 80 countries in the world on motorcycle, one way or the other. And there is, I can tell you, there is no one country in the world where people are mean. It just does not exist. No matter where you are, you have a problem, you will find people who will help you. Now, you might have country with the political situation with your own country, you might, uh, you might have difficulty with a, a custom agent. You might have problem with a corrupted policeman. You might have problem with military or government or the administration. But that's not the people. That's the system. So there is no such a thing as a country where people are mean. I was welcome in every country I went in. I remember when I, was, I arrived in Venezuela with my BMW SACA with a New York City license plate. I replaced the license plate, and I thought, you know, people see I'm from New York, uh, American, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to be in trouble. People don't give a damn, you know, they're lovely. They say, oh, you're from the, uh, you know, little by little, I was opening myself. And they're absolutely lovely. So everywhere you go, you will find very, very nice people. And then whenever you have a problem, you will find people talking to you.
1: Right. Yep, that's absolutely true. That message comes across quite often uh, with the people we interview, and we hear the same message time and time again, is that you know, everywhere they go, the people that they meet are just absolutely genuine, helping, caring, and they'll give you the shirt off their back. Yeah, yeah. Yep, Absolutely. All right, bear. Well, safe travels, uh, enjoy India, and I will be looking forward to seeing where you go next. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show and uh, and uh, inspire our listeners to get out there and do something for themselves.
2: Okay. Well, thank you very much, and i see you on the road one of these days.
1: Sounds good. Thanks. Okay. Take care.
2: Thank you, Travis. Bye-bye.